0: Yeah. Yeah. The movement. The movement. Yeah. I hope you had a wonderful Labor Day, folks. The Movement of Color Podcast. Episode 17. Here we go. In this episode, Byron Lopez goes back to school. Also, we'll have a conversation with Mike Strode about cryptocurrencies. What's hot, what's not? My name is Brandon Payton Carrillo, and I'll be your host today. So let's get this show started. So it is back to school time.
1: Yes, yes it is. Uh, A time when everyone under the age, or most people under the age of 24, uh, just die inside.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you get used to the smell of pencil eraser and chalkboard and chalkboard dust again.
1: Everyone becomes addicts to caffeine.
0: Yes, caffeine, and yet it's still a somewhat joyous time.
1: Yeah, I, I could, you know, as a student, I can see why you would think that.
0: <laughs> so, Byron, not to, you know, put you on blast or anything, but you are back in school again, right?
1: Yes, I am a student at Cal State Fullerton. I just transferred in.
0: It is uh, it's great. <laughs> so it's great. So tell me the vibe, because I've never been to Cal State Fullerton. What is the vibe of that campus? Is it like oh suburban, or is it kind of woodsy and bucolic, or is it like whatever? It is. It is very much a
1: college in the middle of the suburbs, but it doesn't do that bullshit like UCLA or Irvine, where it pretends to be isolated. It's like yeah, we're we're like we're like a city. Basically, it's almost like a community college that just got bumped up to the CSU level, um, where. Like, it's, it's what they call a, um, a commuter college where the vast, vast, vast majority of people um, drive or take the bus there. They, they don't live on campus. There's, I, I think there's only, like, 2,000, like, spaces on campus for, like, uh, for people to, like, live there. And then the rest of the 40,000-plus uh, uh, students um, just commute in. So like, so there isn't really that much student life compared to other colleges and Mm. everyone's just kind of like honest about it. It's like, yeah, we're just here to get our degree, move the fuck on because we got like other shit going on. We have jobs, we have families, we're just, we're here to get a job done.
0: So no Greek life, no keg stands, no, you know, student body presidents.
1: There, there are those things, but they're not to the degree that, um, you would see at any other college. Like they're, they're like more toned
0: down things. Okay. Fair enough. So you are going on more of a political tract, correct? Yes,
1: I'm a political science major because I I enjoy not having any real prospects after I get out of college.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, let's be honest. None of us really have any real prospects once we get out of college. (laughs) Uh, But uh, so, all right, political science. I'm a political science major, so I'm not going to fucking hate on it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, um but um how do you feel about your political science department where does it lie is it lefty is it middle of the road is it conservative or is it a just a mixed bag of potpourri if you will um
1: all i can say is um for the kind of 300 level classes because i transferred i didn't take the one hundred and two hundreds. 200s I took those over in Santa Ana College um, before I transferred in, so I can only say so much. Uh, but from the professors I have in the political science department, they are very much centrist libs. Um, they like I had one professor, uh, I had one professor who uh, was essentially well, essentially wanted like a thirty minute like speech about. Um, the importance of civility and respect uh, in politics, and how, like, just look at Congress, you can't get anything passed, uh, because the left and the right just don't agree with each other. Um, And, like, at no point did she, like, really, and of course, you know, she's a white, suburban, middle-class mom, um, but at no point did she, like, ever, like, kind of, like, stop and think, like, were the things that were getting past good at all or were they just all shit? <laughs> like, like, how hard did Democrats actually fight during those years, like during the like Clinton and Obama years? Like, how hard did they actually fight when they were in power, let alone when they weren't? Like, it's how easy it would acquiesce to everything. Um, and why does Republicans, despite being fucking ideological garbage on the right wing, um, being so successful? Because they are successful. Yeah, I mean, they won the presidency. They won the house and they won uh congress so like strong case purposes, they have total control and there's nothing the democrats can really do and they still acquiesce because of course they do so like it's it's, it's mostly stuff like that I, I do, though, to be honest i do have this one like vaguely eastern eastern european professor um i think he's i think he might i think he's from russia He's very much a, a realist when it comes to foreign policy. It's like, yeah, no, all these, every is a fucking shithead and they're all terrible and all they care about is like global domination because that's the whole purpose of states. So he seems pretty cool. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah, That's interesting. It's a very different dynamic from when I was back in college at my alma mater of the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Um, I think I was taught by a bunch of crypto Marxists.
1: Uh, oh, I would kill for that shit, dude.
0: <laughs> it was great. It was great because in sociology class, it was like, "All right, well, today we're gonna spend today in the next three weeks, we're gonna spend talking about his contribution to sociology." Then I had another political science professor where you know, whenever one of the kind of older Republican-esque uh, dads wanted to say something about being conservative. You, you know you kind of turn it around and then like all right we'll pivot to the marxist analysis of that and then the old guy was like hmm okay that makes sense well you know ah, it's a really thought out you know philosophy blah 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 but i digress it was a cool experience i'm sorry it, your experience has not been up to this point as cool
1: i actually to, to run off that um that whole myth that like university professors are just like all like Marxists and anarchists and like they're just trying to uh, indoctrinate our youth um, does not exist anymore. It, it it is a totally fake myth. If you go to and this is the case for like most university campuses now, they those professors may have been there like you know a while ago, but they got purged, dude. Uh, they they. They're gone. In fact, it's a lot easier to be a right wing uh, professor now than it is to be a left wing one, because the right wing ones usually get more slack when it comes to like doing shit. Yeah, I I think I think seventy five percent of all the professors that were like that were like purged were usually left wing, while only twenty five percent were right. So it, it is making it like, and now and because of that, now colleges are like the center of like status quo liberalism where they, like, vehemently defend the status quo because they realized very, you know, from the 70s and the end, you know, from the 60s and 70s, that, like, college campuses were, like, the center of radicalism and they couldn't, like, no, that was, like, no, we're not going to deal with that. So, you know, they fucking purged them.
0: Purged them. And now you got university. Yeah. <laughs> that's
1: as far as lefties as you got to go.
0: That, um, that's weak sauce. So... What do you think are the contributing factors to that purge? Because I'm not as familiar with the mechanisms of the university purge.
1: So, this is something that's kind of unique to the more working class, you know, nominally working class um, like universities and colleges, like the the Ivy leagues. Nah, like they 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 still have like you know they still have their Richard Wolves. They still have you know their. Uh, you know, David Grobers. Uh, you know, they still have their radicals, mainly because it's the people go there are usually upper class and like they're in- they're like inoculated against all that stuff, like just from the circumstances of their birth and upbringing. Mm-hmm. So they don't. They're kind of like the inner party where you don't have you don't you can you can be totally honest and you don't have to worry at all about them going rogue. The city colleges, uh, like city universities, those are the ones you would have to worry about because those are the ones that the working class, uh, like the the working class youth go to. They're the ones who are most likely to actually take up this shit and like, yeah, this is fucked up. Yeah, because because like you know, because they're the ones who are being oppressed in that kind of situation. Those are the ones that were purged, um, and that's why, like, if you go to a you know, Cal State Fullerton or maybe UCI or UCI or any other, um, it's mainly just fucking centrist libs rather than any actual radicalism. Even if it's disguised radicalism, it's not even there anymore because they're just blatant and all open about their fucking. You know respectability and civ- and like you know civility and you know we need to look at both sides and all that bullshit that just ends with people dying <laughs> like, like with by you know, death by policy.
0: Wow! And even in a state like California.
1: Oh yeah, no, they, no, they, they think it's like commie California or whatever, but like no, it's fucking hell here. It's it's fucking hell because <laughs> because it's, it's, it's not the commies who are in charge; it's the fucking libs, and they're insufferable.
0: Oh, damn it. Damn it. Damn it. You always, in every dream, I was like, you know what? I'm going to frost my tips and drive out (laughs) to California and surf all day and smoke dope with hippies and commies. So basically become Guy Fieri. (laughs) Yes. But is he, he's actually, is he he a lefty?
1: Um, All I know is that he's a really cool dude who, like, gives away free food and officiates gay weddings all the time. So... I don't know. It he seems like, it seems like a really cool dude. I mean, we could, we could literally do a whole segment on why uh, Guy Fieri is actually a working class hero.
0: Yeah.
1: In, 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 the, in the very elitist and like incestuous group of like high class chefs.
0: Yeah, I can't argue with the fact that he's a working class hero because, you know, hell, his show goes to dives and, you know, yeah, barbecue like, working
1: food. class food. That's his, that's his like, focus. Cheap it, working class food.
0: Exactly. Um, but, you know, with that being said, a lot of his audience is um, kind of the right-wing populist working class. Um, not that he is, but we should do a deeper dive on that. On yes, we totally should. So my last question for you about this whole university life back to school, how can we support left of center professors get more professors. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, um, I don't know if you, um, kind of noticed it in the news, but the uh, Mark Bray who wrote, um, the anti-fascist handbook, mm-hmm. um, he actually was like, uh, he was actually purged from his university, um, that he was a professor at and his students got together and was like, no, fuck this shit. Um, and they kind of, you know, they called him to school, they did actions, they did all this stuff to make, to like, to try to, make sure that he doesn't get purged. Um, you know, of course, the, of course, Mark Bray didn't want to go. He wanted to stay because, you know, he, it was like literally in the middle of classes. It was in, in the middle of the semester. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and he didn't want to like disrupt anything. Uh, so like stuff like that, like getting students together and creating organizations that are there to protect, like to defend, like what little left wing, you know, left wing perspectives there are left in university campuses is incredibly important because Like things like Mark Bray is like you know people like Mark Bray are being purged like every fucking day. I mean it's it's becoming increasingly common, especially with the especially with the this Department of Education and with uh, Republicans like seizing state houses all the time. um, It is becoming increasingly common, so it is very important to like you know create a uh, student organizations are are incredibly important like to actually be organized. Not just like well most times it is going to be like very spontaneous because it's like. Oh shit! This professor I really like and is not garbage is suddenly being like removed because of their ideological views, um, you know, because of their left wing views. I should get my you know my fellow students together and do something about this. It is is always been better if there's a some sort of structure there beforehand for when that would inevitably inevitably happens. So having you know again having a student organization on cam, usually on campus um, there to promote this kind of stuff is, is very good. Also it just you know, while you're there, while you know, while professors aren't being purged, you can also do like other stuff, like unionize, uh, like unionize the workers in the university, or uh, you know, advocate for more radical stuff in the student union
0: stuff like that. All right, cool. Well, I'm glad we got a little takeaway homework to get started on. Uh, so, thank you, Byron.
1: Thank
0: you. Hey, Mike. So we're here to talk about cryptocurrency. Oh, OK. So
2: in terms of um, the cryptocurrency, um, I, I've often had what might be an adversarial relationship with um, cryptocurrencies. And uh, the reason that, that it has been such is that um, one of the critiques that I have of the U.S. dollar is mm-hmm. that it's a, a really great sort of store of value. I mean, it, it'll store value forever. I mean, effectively in, in, in sort of today's and I mean, in the course of a lifetime, you know, I mean, it, it, it is able to store value for a very long time. Um, but it's not a great medium of exchange because the people who want it to store value, they put the value in it and then they, they put that dollar away. So the dollar is um, prone to hoarding. Um, it's, it's prone to lack of circulation. It's prone to maybe artificially enforced scarcity. You know, you, you take a dollar from one, from a community and depending upon where you deposit that dollar, what store you put that dollar in, um, it might go to the other side of the world and it might be gone for years or decades before it actually comes back to the community that it was uh, taken from. So, um, the, 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 the problem, the, the, The problem with cryptocurrency was that it immediately transformed from this thing that was sort of, you know, anarchic and, you know, pluralistic into this thing that just functioned just like the standard U.S. dollar, meaning that, you know, people were taking it, depositing value in it, uh, hoping that that speculation would lift its value up and then taking the value back out that, that, you know, that it had risen to and taking those U.S. dollars and just, you know, Putting those in the bank, right? It's like, yeah, I, I took my crypto. I bought some, you know, when it was really low. I sold it when it was really high. I got these U.S. dollars. I put them in my bank account. You know, I waited for it to drop again. I bought some low crypto. I sold it high. So, you know, that that's the, the sort of danger of cryptocurrencies. Now. Um, the promise of cryptocurrencies. So there are two cryptocurrencies that, um, uh, projects that I've been really excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is going to be, um, called Moeta. Um, and this is a cryptocurrency that's specifically looking at, um, so it's specifically looking at how you take the value of a crypto and build an ecosystem that's meant to support cooperative organizations. So cooperative and inclusive growth, mm-hmm. um, and so effectively you know you 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 would have possibly you know a circulation of these um, that as people as people invest value inside of Moeda, then mm-hmm. that value is used to to support or to um, crowdfund organizations that are launching you know that that actually are talking about building up local communities so so that might be a promising way to use crypto. Uh, uh, in terms of sectoral um, investment, you know, investing in specific sectors. And in that sense, you know, it, the speculation might not reach that because it's like, oh, well, there's such sort of low possibility of growth. You know, speculation isn't, isn't attracted to, to, to low-growth items. Yeah. Um, it's attracted to high-growth possibilities. So Moeta is one, one project um, that I'm, I'm interested in, you know, um, and it started initially amongst a network of uh, agricultural cooperatives in Brazil. Um, and that's M-O-E-D-A for anybody who's looking at Moeda. Um, another cryptocurrency project that I'm really interested in is going to be called Circles. Um, now, Circles is, describes itself as a basic income on the blockchain. So effectively, it's talking about how do you distribute a, um, a cryptocurrency that has a monthly or, or, or sort of a, a time-based release Of Some amount of currency that functions as a type of basic income, you know on some regular basis You receive a bit of circle of of circle currency and then you're free to spend that on what you will Now the other sort of unique element around circles is that it's a trust-based currency. So in terms of your ability to trade on the network um, you you're able to build sort of like a peer-to-peer relationship between currencies so that if you are trusted by various people on this, this network of, 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 uh, of circle participants, then your currency gains in value. The more people that trust you, the greater is the greater your currency is value. The less people that trust you, the lower the value of your currency. And the other sort of danger is that like if you are if you trust someone who's untrustworthy on the network, um, then there's a possibility that they can kind of trade, take your currency, give you their worthless currency, and, and then um, you know you, you kind of have all this currency that's not really going to be spendable on the network because this person has proved themselves untrustworthy to other people. So it, it, it almost is like sort of an enforced um, – it's, it's reinforcing the or incentivizing people to monitor what type of communities that they construct – um, based upon something other than just like the speculative possibility that their own currency amount will, will, will rise in value. But how do you actually deal with sort of this trusted relationship between members of a community? And then also, how do you sort of offer this possibility that, you know, we can do basic income without going through some government entity? We can do this amongst ourselves. So that's that's called circles.
0: Wow, that's really cool. So those are some of the areas in which crypto is kind of at right now, cryptocurrencies at right now, where do you see it heading more towards? Are people moving more towards the speculative? Are they moving more towards the, I would say for the common good aspect of it? And what organizations are moving towards the common good where you can kind of get involved in? Well, um,
2: because we, we live in a very vigorous uh, market, you know, uh, economy, you know, centered on centered and based on capitalism, um, crypto is always moving towards speculation. You know, one of the things that I, 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 I argued – so a moment ago in talking about time and you know, we talked about sort of the possibility that this is a form of communism that is by another name. Well. Um, I, I, I prefer to think of it and I've actually sort of been called because of this, you know, a sort of pseudo anarchist, you know, in the sense for me, it's a form of economic pluralism. Um, it's a way to think about how do we disrupt the, the predominance of financial capital in our lives and in our social relationships and in our social, social constructions. So by disrupting financial capital, then we give people a plural, a, a plural, pluralistic way of looking at opportunities for exchange. Do I want to do time banking? Do I want to do crypto? Do I want to do US dollar? Do I want to do swapping? Do I want to do bartering? Do I want to do skill sharing? Do I want to, you know, what are all of the different ways that I can trade? And how can how can we disrupt the dominance of a single type of trading inside of our lives? So yeah, crypto's always veering towards speculation. The the two organizations that I mentioned, Circles and Moetta. Those are the, the projects that I see as um, getting back to the, the sort of anarcho- anarchic roots of crypto um, and, and not so much falling into the realm of speculation – as, as, you know, I mean, as the value of things rise, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that, that's what I would say in terms of, um, it, it, you know, I would definitely it, it, um, advise people reading the white paper for circles and, um, and, and then just, you know, being able to look at what the possibilities are for cryptocurrencies once you remove the, 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 the hoarding, the speculation, and, and, and you know, those sorts, of, um, those sorts of things that are incentivized by the current market economic structure.
0: Again, we're talking about a little bit of um, about Jackson, Mississippi, because I just I just uh, saw another interview where um, Kalia Kuno was talking about possibly using cryptocurrency to help the city of Jackson. How would that be useful for them? Um, so, so,
2: so I, I, I'll, I'll talk about that in terms of two types of two other types of currency or two other descriptions of currency. Um, you know, complementary currencies. Currencies that exist as a complement alongside the U.S. dollar, meaning it's just a, a parallel stream, a, a complementary way that you can exchange if you don't want to exchange in U.S. dollars, and then community currencies, which are a type, which are often a type of complementary currency, but you know, there's a, there's there, it's a more it's a broader definition than just a complementary currency. Um, so, a community currency is a currency that's bounded by the realm of a community. Um, and it's meant to incentivize keeping value inside of that community, inside of that network. Whatever, however, that network is constructed, you know, it, that, that, that network can be constructed by a regional boundary, a physical regional boundary. That network can be stru- constructed by a sectoral boundary, such as Moeda, being a, a boundary of cooperative organizations. Um, that network can be constructed by a family or a tribal relationships. Um, however, that value is constructed, it's kept. As, as long as it's in, in this form of community currency, it's kept in those boundaries. Um, now, one of the possibilities for Jackson um, is that they could implement a bounded, um, regionalized cryptocurrency. And that's something that I've been seeing with a model um, called Colu. Uh, so there's a cryptocurrency called Colu that implements local currencies on, on the blockchain. And so they implement, they, they implement a, a regional regionalized um, crypto um, token so that if you're in Chicago and the, the, the local currency is bounded by the Chicago region, then, you know, you can't trade with organizations that are outside of those um, those physical boundaries. Because ultimately what you're trying to do is stimulate sort of a local economy um, inside of that, that, that city region. Uh, and so so Jackson could implement something like that. Um, a regional type of currency, it could implement a sectoral currency. So one of the things that Kali Akuno talked about when he visited UIC in Chicago is that, um, you know, someone uh, posed the question, what are things that we can do to help Jackson? And he said, um, you know, more than sort of coming down to visit, more than sort of taking that trip to kind of do um, the the, the sort of daily uh, task, you know, basis of, 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 of living in Jackson or, or staying in Jackson, what they needed was people to build solidarity economies here, because you, what you need in terms of um, a, solidar- a, a municipal um, solidarity economy is that you need other municipalities to actually be trading on different terms, to operate in different ways, so that then you start to get this enabling ecosystem of, of uh, cities that you're able to engage with. Uh, in, in ways that that you know um, that the current market will not allow, right? You know the, the market will discipline you if you start to get outside of sort of those rules of capitalism. And so, in order to be able to survive as an institution that's running counter to capitalism, you need other sorts of structures that are operating on that on those same principles, those same solidarity economy <laughs> kind of principles. To work with you um, and be abiding by those rules, so so they could implement a sectoral currency that only organizations that ascribe to a set of cooperative principles or a set of solidarity economy principles are able to trade in.
0: Wow. Okay, that's that's a a lot of information at once, but um, yes. I think that's really beautiful and this to show the possibilities of what crypto can be besides turning into one of those crypto douchebags that write really bad trap songs on youtube about um, blockchain (laughs) certainly yeah don't don't be a douchebag at all (laughs) not at all so thank you mike thank you for your time very very welcome All right, folks, we reached the end of another episode. As a little tidbit or nugget of information, if you listened closely to our last segment, you would have heard Frida, one of the coolest hounds on this planet. Anyway, I would like you guys to, hey, follow us on Twitter at movement underscore color and support us at patreon.com backslash movement of color where you can find our latest in our anarchism series. So my name is Brandon Payton Carrillo. I look forward to seeing you next week. Adios.